you have to keep a tender heart, but develop thick skin. Mm. I said, because if you have thin skin and you're just getting hurt, betrayed, talked about, whether the talking is true, Mm -hmm. that hurts too, Mm -hmm. or whether it's just rumor, it really hurts. So if you have things thin skin, I said, it's going to destroy you or you'll get a hard heart. Mm. So the only way to survive is just, just, you know, I don't care anymore. You get a hard heart. Welcome to the Push Podcast. Why push? Because a nudge is just too friendly. And friend, we're here to help you get your shit together. I'm Eddie. And I'm Janelle. And we're the Copelands. We've got three daughters, two businesses, a mortgage, and lots of responsibilities. So just like you, we're struggling to find that perfect balance of ambitious go-getter hustle while still staying present, loving our kids, and working on our relationship. <laughs> and doing the laundry, going to the grocery store. Oh, and don't forget being mindful. Yeah, mindful all of this. the stuff. <laughs> So if you're juggling all the things, but you're also trying to get to the next level, guess what? You're in the right place. So get ready to be pushed. Hey guys, welcome back to the Push Podcast. I'm Janelle Copeland. And I'm Eddie Copeland. And we are here for episode number 21 with someone that we feel super honored to be in the same room with. You want to talk yeah. quickly because you said something amazing about like the influence that people you've never met have yeah, had on you. And so this is actually my first time meeting you. Um, and when you think about like, we talked about this a little before we started, you saved our marriage. Mm-hmm. I mean, this was a, a pivotal moment in a time back five years ago where we were just in a tough place and to sit down and have a stranger influence you and change your mindset and and make you think about your life differently and everything that's in your life and how you need to approach things. It's an honor to be in front of you today. Right. And so so we're talking mm. to the man that helped save our marriage today who didn't even know it <laughs> yes, just yes. from afar we've been admiring. He's the founding pastor of a church that was started 40 years ago. What a huge milestone. Congratulations on that. He's a husband. I'm not sure how many years, but I know it's a lot. He's a father of three grown adults. He's a grandfather of seven children. Uh, From what I gather as an audience member, he's a huge sports fan. Yep. And you've got two doctorates, I think. Does that make you a double doctor? Let's start there. What do we call you, Pastor? You can can just call me Jim. I'll go crap you because I I have a... I have uh, technically an earned PhD from okay. a Fuller Seminary, and I have a, and the Azusa Pacific University a few years ago gave me an honorary doctor of divinity, which I love because one of my best friends in ministry used to always call me when I just had one doctor. Uh-huh. There was an old song from my generation called uh, Doctor, Doctor, Give <laughs> yeah. Me the News. Yeah. I got it. Love so he'd it. always call me Doctor, Doctor. So when Azusa Pacific finally uh, gave me the honorary second doctor, I told him, Hey, I'm finally really am. Doctor, doctor. That's amazing. <laughs> and being a preacher, I can give you the good news. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. So, ladies and gentlemen, um, it's our honor to be in the same room with the doctor, doctor, Pastor Jim Reeves. Thank you so much for sitting down with us, taking time out of your day. In a few rooms over, there's thousands of people in the church <laughs> that you built. Yes. And I kind of want to start there. Yeah. You know, the podcast is about. It's for pushers, not necessarily drug dealers, (laughs) but, you know, that has a context too. We want to bring people on and share them with our audience that have gone through some tough stuff. And I would just say, Mm -hmm. as an outsider, uh, having a business for 10 years, you having a church that you founded 40 years ago, you had to have pushed through some things. Am I wrong in that? Oh, no, absolutely. (laughs) All, All the way from the beginning when we launched it. I really felt there was a need and a vacuum, which I think is always good for people to know. If you're going to launch anything, 
is there a need for it? Mm. And uh, I thought back in those days, a lot of ministries or churches, they would either be strong Bible teaching churches, but to be honest, kind of boring, or they'd be really lively. And I don't want to stereotype, but maybe like people's ideas of Pentecostal, mm. run, spit, scream, run, and shout. Right. But there wasn't a lot of substance sometimes. Mm. So you either had to go with good solid teaching, but kind of dry versus a lot of enthusiasm, but not a lot of grounding to it with mm. truth. And so I thought, here, if you ever do that, and we, I think we kind of were able to somewhat accomplish that. I think you'd have a New Testament church and talking about bumps, and we, we just took off. I, I thought I'd have a little church on the side while I finished up getting my, talk about a doctor, getting my PhD from Fuller, but the church took off in growth and enthusiasm. And so my PhD kind of got put on hold. And then we hit a real bump in after about six or seven years, mm. a lot of different things happened that just rocked me, mm. uh, to be honest with you. We had even one of our uh, staff guys, and it didn't affect the church directly, mm-hmm. but it did because he was on staff. Mm-hmm. So nothing happened at church, but it was accused of some sexual things. It actually mm. wasn't sexual. It was more what they would call legally child annoyance. And mm. anyway, then people got after us over that. So we handled it really great. But still, whenever you go through a bump like that, I mean, even if you're doing the best you can, and I got, I really, I kind of got discouraged. I go, God, I didn't sign up for this. Mm. You know, people say this about you and that. So I had to really go back to, you know, what has God called me to do and uh, the vision and the passion to bust through that. And when you have any ministry or a relationship or business go through several years, you're going to go through high times and you're going to go through low times. Mm. And there's a pastor named Dr. Fred Price who had Crenshaw Christian Center for years, one of the greatest churches in Southern California. Mm. And just before this church started in the late 70s, he gave me one of the best pieces of advice. Mm. I happened to run into him. He said, well, Jim, he said, how you handle the bad times is going to make the difference in your ministry. He says, anyone can handle the good times pretty well, but how you handle the bad times. Oh, I got it to him. And after 40 years, we've been married now almost 48 years. Wow. It's not so much how you handle the good times, although that can make a difference. It's how you handle the tough times. It's going to determine whether or not you succeed. Okay. Well, that's, that's doctor, crazy. doctor coming out of the yeah, gates yeah, with absolutely. fire already. Yeah, yeah, Did you yeah. guys get that? Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's so amazing because yeah. I was raised in that church. Mm-hmm. Oh, so, Crenshaw. Yeah, yeah. 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 yeah so... To hear you say that, that's a, that's amazing because my mom's going to be really excited. Yes, oh, yeah, she is. Yeah. 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 She still goes to that church. Yeah, that's awesome. So um, can I say this? On uh, September 29th, 2019, I sat in your service, and it was about the fact that people want a problem-free life, right? Yeah, yeah. And you said people send problems to God, but God sends people to problems. Yes. I don't exactly. even know if you remember any of this stuff, but we were talking uh, before we hit yeah, record yeah, yeah. that I take— so many notes on your services. <laughs> She's going to say better yes. than Eddie. And so <laughs> I, I guess that's one of my questions. Like, what other problems has God sent you to that probably didn't feel good? Like, that didn't feel good. You're on a high. You mm, know, yep. the church takes off. And we have a lot of business owner friends that listen, people that are starting from the ground up. So I love that you said it took off. And I was thinking, ah, time out, guys. Don't think that everything's like roses, right? And then you said, boom, six years later, we got hit with something. Mm -hmm. So I would imagine over 40 years, you got hit with a couple of things, right? Sure. Big time. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Big time. And if I could share one thing is that partly is that when you're going through times like that, no matter what the issue is, you have to have a um, core concept of who you are in the core mm. so that you don't change who you are. Because there's a real natural tendency to think, 
I'm doing something wrong. We're doing something wrong. And by the way, that may well be the case. You got to make sometimes major adjustments Mm -hmm. and major changes. Mm -hmm. But if you start changing who you are, who you've been called to be, in fact, that message you're referring to, I was talking about Joseph in the Bible, and and Joseph was one of 12 brothers, and he had this dream, this ambition. He was gifted to interpret dreams, but his brothers hated him because of that. Mm -hmm. So he ends up being betrayed by his brothers. They're going to kill him. No, let's not kill him. Let's just sell him to slavery. They throw him in a pit. And that preachers will go, he went from the pit, then he got sold into slavery, got taken to Egypt, and he ends up in a guy's house named Potiphar, because Potiphar buys him as a slave, and he serves Potiphar faithfully. But then Potiphar's wife likes Joseph, because like me, Joseph was an incredibly good-looking guy. <laughs> <laughs> I figured this is just audio, people can't know if it's true or not. Uh, and so he rejected her advances, so she makes false claims against him that he tried to rape her. He just rejected her. Well, you know who they're going to believe. Mm-hmm. He gets thrown in prison, and so he went from the pit to the prison, and then you know the story one day later, after he'd helped others out several years later, he got called before Pharaoh to be able to interpret a dream and ends up in the palace. Mm-hmm. I'm giving you a sermon right here from Love the it. pit to Potiphar's house mm-hmm. to prison to the palace. Mm-hmm. Those those are high highlights and low lives. Yeah. But if you notice one thing about Joseph, he never changed who he was. You got obviously got to change who you are. When you're in the prison, he became the head prisoner. The prisoner mm-hmm. guards liked having him. If your business is going through a rough time right now, to a certain extent, don't change who you are, but also don't stop serving people and helping people and using your gifts just because you're in a downtime. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, one thing I love about Joseph, for example, is that Joseph wasn't afraid to help people who couldn't help him. He didn't just help those who could help him. I've mm-hmm. noticed people a lot of times, particularly in Southern California, they're always trying to one up. Mm-hmm. You know, so they'll hang around you, want to be around you if they think you can help them get to the next level. Mm-hmm. In fact, sometimes with the Hollywood people, Hollywood people I've been around, they say, they'll crack me up. They'll go, dating can be interesting because if you see a couple together, let's just go stereotype, old school stereotype, a wealthy guy and a young, beautiful girl. Mm-hmm. They'll go, neither one of them are ever relaxed because the older guy always knows she's looking for someone w- with more money. Mm-hmm. And the beautiful girl knows that he's always looking for someone younger and prettier. So there's never security. Now, that's I say that because when you start never have security, no matter what, what we went through, Janelle and Eddie, I was secure in who God had called me to be. Mm-hmm. I was secure in the vision God had given us. And that sustained us as our core with making other changes. You know, For example, at one point, we had to change, our, change our, something as simple as our music. Because when we, when we first began, our church was largely Anglo, kind of like this area with some Hispanics. But the Lord spoke to my heart and said, well, don't you want to reach everybody? I said, sure. He says, well, then you got to be a church that reaches everyone, no matter what they look like, no matter what color they are. Mm-hmm. So we actually changed our music, how mm-hmm. we did music. So it wasn't so, I call it old school vanilla, mm-hmm. which I love, but we brought a little more flavor. And, yeah. and yet, in all that change, we still were who we were. So it right. isn't like we did, okay, this music's popular. Let's do this music. Right. Uh, it's kind of, what's the old saying that if you were a um, broadcaster radio station for you guys that remember radio, if you played one moment a country western song and then a hip hop song mm-hmm. and then a classical song and then whatever country western all the rest thinking we're going to reach everybody truth is you won't reach anyone because right. yeah. no one's going to listen to you mm-hmm. so anyway all that to say yeah. you, you got to reach down to your core and and I like that I like that Joseph did that through the high points and the low points love that. I love that. And, and what's crazy is that is the what attracted us to the church was the, the worship team, the music. It really spoke to us. It was something like, oh, this is good music that we enjoyed. 
And so getting here early was important to enjoy that. But when our business owners listen to this, I think they get an understanding of you have to target exactly who you're looking for. Right. We yeah. always say when you speak to everyone, you, you speak, speak to, to no one. one. Exactly. That's it. I'm going to yeah. I'm going to preach that next yeah. time. Yeah. <laughs> I, I can't wait to be in the yeah. audience yeah. and hear it. Yeah. Um, and I, I just want to I want to go back a little bit because you talked mm-hmm. about Joseph in the pit and one of your yeah. services. You saw you said that he grew in the pit. Yes. And so for you, what was that growth like when mm-hmm. seven years in and then boom? Yeah, yeah. I hate to say it, at least in my case, and I think in most of our cases, we grow more in the valleys than we do on the mountaintops. Mm-hmm. Uh, say I, that again, yeah, yeah, please. We, yeah, we do. We grow more in the valleys than we do on the mountaintops. You know, we enjoy the mountaintops. The mountaintops look and feel and probably are the heights of success. But and, and we grow. We can grow and learn from there too. But you learn so much more in the valley. I mean, when you're being hit with uh, whatever accusations or staff that's not happy, right. or you know, I remember at one time one of my key guys had helped me launch the church around the same time as we hit our first bump that I talked about a moment ago. My key right hand guy, who was older than me, I really leaned on him for totally unrelated reasons decided to go on and do something else. So mm-hmm. I kind of felt like getting up there to preach and I didn't have my right arm anymore. I mm-hmm. didn't, didn't have any help. So what did that do? So what's the flip side of that? You know what that did? That made me go back to God and say, you know, I started seeking God and had to reevaluate my calling. Well, my calling's to me. God's with me. It's not just with me only if I have this other guy with me. And like in a business, I think sometimes the best time for a business as ironic as it sounds, is when you're going through a really, really tough time, because then you can kind of go back and say, first of all, what are we really about? What's mm-hmm. what are we trying to do? Have we gotten away from our vi- from our original vision? What we're what we're supposed to, to be doing? Mm-hmm. On the other hand, man, there must be some stuff. Some stuff we need to change. You know, we need to change. Like in our case, music. Mm-hmm. Uh, we even changed how are we look up on the platform because mm-hmm. I said, well, if we're going to say we love everybody, and someone comes to our church and everyone up on the platform is white, yeah. you know, we may say, and we we could do multicultural music, but everyone they're looking at is white. Right. So we even made decisions like, all right, so we we want the platform as much as we can right. to reflect God's creativity yeah. when it comes mm. to different color, different backgrounds, yep. all, all that. I love, love the inclusion of this church. So you said, and well, in 2014, I had kind of hit a lull in business. I was going through the the pit, like mm-hmm. we were talking about. We were going through a pit in our marriage. In 2015, you taught me in a service in October 2015 that you asked a question. You said, is it punishment or preparation? Yeah. Changed my whole life. And so now anytime we go through some sort of pit, Mm -hmm. we try to kind of be funny about it and we just Mm -hmm. laugh and we're like, okay, he's just testing us for for promotion. Yep. That's all it is, right? So I want to let you know that that whole punishment or preparation is a huge mindset shift that I think could change people's lives. Oh, yeah. Along those same lines, another one that's sometimes very difficult to discern for anybody is... Is this an obstacle Mm. that God expects me to bust through? It's a problem that God wants you to bust through. Or is it God putting a closed door trying to direct me? Yeah. Mm. Uh, And that's always one of the toughest things. And well, you brought it up, Jim. What's the answer? Uh, Well, honestly, I can't give you a a real real easy answer because it's not a science. I think it's more of an art. Mm. Uh, To give a few suggestions, I'll ask myself questions like this. Now, is this an obstacle, another problem that God wants me to hang in there, persevere, and bust through? 
Or is this a sign that God's closing one door because he's going to open up another door, so he's trying to direct me? Some of it might sound subjective, but some of that kind of, I'll just talk to the Lord about that and I'll get a sense and a feeling. Or I'll ask myself questions like, how did I get here? Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, I don't mean to sound too spiritual, but I am a pastor. Yeah. Uh, I know I know, the, yeah. I know the podcast is more than just spiritual, but I'll say, did I get here through all of my rebellion? You know, mm-hmm. did I get into this mess because did I don't know. Yeah, yeah. yeah, because I lied here or I did mm-hmm. something or else I'm in this mess. I found sometimes if I'm in that kind of mess, I really need to look at myself. I'm probably in a situation that, yes, I'm going to learn from. I'll learn a lot from it, but this is not where God wanted me. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to do what I can. So God's trying to maybe redirect me. He's, hey, Jim, he's trying to call me back onto the path. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like with the kid. You let the kid go. You try to tell them. You have to kind of let them, kind of like tough love. You let mm-hmm. them get there. Other times, if I'm there and I just really know, but this is, I know this is where I'm supposed to be. And there's this issue here. To me, that's, it's not, absolute, but it's a large evidence to me that I need to fight through this thing because yeah. I know God's called me to do this. Mm-hmm. And I, no matter what they're saying right now, I just really believe it. And so that's just one example, you know, but, but it's, it's really true. And I would tell people listening around, I've noticed one of the key differences in relationships that work, businesses that work, marriages that work, is that they kind of learn to handle obstacles. I think I called a sermon one time, obstacles or doors. Is this an obstacle or an obstacle I'm supposed to bust through or a door where God's trying to redirect me? Mm. And um, of course, I have whole teachings on that, but bottom line, that's that's a big one. And and I know probably some of your listeners are like, Okay, but I still don't know right. what the answer is because part, 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 part of it is part of it is just looking into your heart. Yeah, you know? yes. and that's what I was going to say. I think a lot of it is you have a great self awareness. You reveal mm-hmm. that every time we see yeah. you of looking in and saying, "Okay, mm-hmm. did I create this problem mm-hmm. for myself? If I create this problem for myself, then <laughs> this is not something. This is not a door. This is an obstacle that I created." Because I, I remember you you talked about rejection being giving you direction. Yes. Right. And yep. so sometimes there are doors that just redirect. And, yep. and, and how do you, like it's 40 years mm-hmm. and I know that there's been several locations. Yep. I'm sure that on the, on the path, there were some doors that closed. And, yeah. Big and, time. And then every time the door closed, like how did you readjust? And especially when you have others, when you're a leader, like yeah. how did you adjust? Yeah. Before, I'll forget the question, so remind me, but <laughs> yeah. but part of what I'm able to do, which I would encourage people to do, is sometimes if I still don't know, is this one I'm supposed to push through or should I go on and do something else? Honestly, I'll sometimes just get before myself and before the Lord and I'll say, God, you know what? I've thought about it. I've talked to people. I've tried to get wise counsel. I'm trying to go by my my what I sense you're leading me to do. So then I said, so God, I'm going to do this, whatever mm. it is, I'm doing this. Mm. And you know what, God, I'm doing it with the best of intentions. You know that. And then I'll tell the Lord and God, if somehow I'm missing it right now, if I've missed it, if it's a door and I'm handled like an obstacle or vice versa, said, please stop me mm. and, and please redirect me. And I can't tell you how often God, God will honor that. And, mm. and I really believe that, that if you're really trying to do your best and you're not sure going through issues and problems. So finally just say, you know what, God, because you got to do something. Some people crack me up. They're like, I don't know what to do. So they don't do anything. Right. And I'm like, well, do something. <laughs> I mean, right. even, even if you fail, it's like, if you're going to launch a business, you know, most small businesses fail, but I have to tip my cap to those that at least try because right. most people don't even try, mm-hmm. you know? So sometimes you just got to step out. Now, I, I think I got off of your question there and saying that though, by the no, way. No, no, <laughs> I just want to point yeah. out that we're speaking about rejection and yeah. you hit on yeah. some really great points. And 
in May of last year, you said God can use rejection to give you direction. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And yeah, that's what we're yeah. talking about. Uh, yeah, so yeah. What I think you- it was Elijah or Elisha one time that was all bummed out because he, and Elisha, Elijah, I think, had come off all the success as a prophet, tons of success. But then at one point, he had kind of received a lot of opposition from Jezebel and, you know, others mm-hmm. like that. So he was sitting down depressed and uh, the Lord shows up and he's just like, I'm all they've rejected me and he was depressed because he'd been rejected and i thought one of the funniest things the whole god told him he says they haven't rejected you they're rejecting me and uh, then he in fact then he tells the fact there are still seven seven thousand people in israel that have not bowed their knees to Baal, that haven't haven't gone the wrong way Uh, and i know everyone says this but i think the ability to not handle rejection too personally when I teach leaders, one of the things I've told them over the years that they tell me is super helped them, I said, to make it long-term, again, I'll apply this to anybody in relationships, business, or ministry, you have to keep a tender heart, but develop thick skin. Mm. I said, because if you have thin skin and you're just getting hurt, betrayed, talked about, whether the talking is true, but mm-hmm. that hurts too, mm-hmm. or whether it's just rumor, it really hurts. So if you have thin, thin skin, I said, it's going to destroy you or you'll get a hard heart. Mm-hmm. So the only way to survive is just, just, you know, I don't care anymore. You get a hard heart. And at least in ministry, and I think in life, at least that's not good. Mm-hmm. So you have to, so I, that's why I say you got to have thick skin, but keep a tender heart. And that sounds really cute. And I hear myself saying it right now. It's <laughs> it's very, very difficult to do yeah. that sometimes. Because mm. what's the old saying? Sometimes those we love the most, help the most, end up being the ones that hurt us the most. Mm. Yeah. And uh, over the years in ministry, for example, it cracks me up. Some of the people I feel like I poured the, my most of mm. my time into, most of my effort, um, did everything I can. Sometimes they're the same ones who one or two or three little things go wrong and then they leave. And even that hurts, but they not only leave, they might leave talking bad about mm. you. And you know, in your heart, you want to say, no, wait, wait a minute. I can't, I can't ever say this because God will let me. But You can say it here. <laughs> but you feel like you want to say, of all the people to complain, you shouldn't complain, right. you know, because I mean, if you feel, well, this church is this, or this business is this, mm-hmm. or that couple, they're like that. Mm-hmm. Hey, you're like, wait, of all the people to say that, you shouldn't be saying that. Mm-hmm. And you just want to delineate all the stuff you did for mm-hmm. them, you know, all the time, the yeah. money, the effort you spent. But I've always found with the Lord anyway, that with rare exception, God always lets me know, but if I do that, handle it that way, it's not going to be that good for me in the long run. And I'm facing my own battle. He says, if I'll just www.com zip it, and just mm-hmm. not say anything, then, then he'll he'll be the one that will fight for me on yeah. that. Mm. But rejection, failure, hurts. And after all these years, talk, I know you guys talk a lot about generations. Like I got to tell you, the one thing that you get experienced with it, but it still hurts, mm-hmm. is at, I'm 67 right now, this year I'll turn 68, and rejection and enemies and all that stuff. It still hurts. It I does? mean you you yeah you think you get That's to an so age where like yeah yeah it, it, I thought we'd be does. cured by that. <laughs> yeah yeah I'm, I am not. Now it does however get a whole lot easier and I think it's because of this because you have perspective. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know okay. when you get old you just have such perspective. You're kind of like I know I'm going to totally sound like that okay boomer that we were talking about <laughs> joking about earlier I think before we came on the mm-hmm. podcast but uh it's like, ah, I've been there. You know, I've seen mm-hmm. that before. So that's one thing why I think that we do need, and talk about generations, sometimes the so-called elders, Bible calls them elders. We might, I don't know, we call them today older people, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, baby yeah. boomers, whatever, yeah. or those even older than my, my mom's generation still Silence. alive. 
And sometimes they can really, really help yeah. because they help can give us perspective that can help us make it through times that are very, very challenging or painful or full of hurt. Yeah. yeah. Oh, gosh. So much good stuff. Absolutely. Oh, I don't know. I have to ask you this. It's kind of funny, but how Jesus-like are you? Like, are you, do people piss you off, Pastor? Like, sure. I mean, because yeah. I just want to know, yeah. do you ever, is it okay to lose your mind sometimes? Yeah, yeah. Maybe you have to do it like privately, but yeah. I just, I have to she know She wants to that. know what happens when someone cuts you off. Yeah. In yeah, a yeah, rage. Exactly. Yeah. Like, I mean, I'm not big into road rage, so it's yeah. got to be something worse, but, yeah. you know, something really bad and you're just pissed. Do you yeah. get pissed? Yeah, yeah. By the way, I'm so glad you used that word. <laughs> Because I use that word all the time. You and say I still piss? Yes. Okay. And my wife, Marguerite, thinks that's kind of a semi-cuss word. So we've always had an argument and, uh, on that. Yeah, I still do. In, in fact, one of the things that I'm, I'm not afraid to share, and it's actually for most people, they look at me like, come on, that's no big deal. But for me, it was. Okay. I say I was 27 when I launched the church. And the church took off. We're doing great. And I was a, I loved the Lord, loved Him. But one issue I had, and I hate that I had it because— Again, people, they don't know me, they can't see, but I got red hair. And if redheads are stereotyped for anything, it's for having a temper, mm -hmm. which really, and you use the word, so I can use it, really pissed, pissed me off. I love it. And, and yet, that was a huge issue mm -hmm. I had. I mean, I, it's only the grace of God that I never hurt somebody. I never hit my wife, never hit my kids, but I would break things, and I also would cuss. Uh, I took up tennis in the 70s and 80s, back in the John McEnroe era and Bjorn Borg. And I loved McEnroe. I still love McEnroe. McEnroe would just cuss up a storm yeah. out in the court. So look, you got to go, I'd be out there preaching a young guy that loves Jesus. And I really did and do mm. love Jesus. I would get mad and break a tennis racket and cuss up a storm. And, and, I, and I felt bad about it. Yeah. And then at times my cussing would kind of flow into some other areas. And just for me, was it good? Nah, you know, it, it's even harder in this generation because now mm. all of our shows, all these shows my wife and I watch, I mean, even more racy. picture, more racy cuss mm -hmm. words are just yeah. used all the time. Right. And it's really hard not to pick up on that. Because right. sometimes if you get really, really angry, what you've seen and taken in. However, I am somewhat proud of myself that I've gotten way, 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 way better at that. I very rarely get mad to the point where I cuss anymore. I feel mm -hmm. like it. And then I'm with guys like I'll go out and I love to golf. And uh, if I'm golfing with a bunch of guys, and I love to be, a, like if I'm a single, you get connected with, like say, with three other guys. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I've been with guys that are movers and shakers. And these, some places these guys I'm talking to, because I, I have a, um, go down to golf in Newport Beach a lot at Pelican Hill. Mm -hmm. And these guys will be getting on their private jet to fly when mm -hmm. they're done. And wow. so, and man, they're, so these guys are multi, multi-millionaires. So, cussing up a storm. <laughs> cussing up a storm, all this. And, and I, if I'm golfing good, especially, if I'm golfing pretty good, I just like to kind of hang in there and I don't really say what I'm doing. And most, most time during an 18 hole round of golf, that somebody they'll ask you, what do you do? And I love it if it's towards the end and I've been playing good and they ask me and I'll say, well, actually I'm in the ministry. I launched a church and I tell them and almost all the guys love it. They're excited. I'm going to talk about it. But then almost all the time too, they're, oh man, I've been cussed. I shouldn't cuss <laughs> and all of that. But I, I just try to make them feel good. I say, well, actually that's why I like to golf with guys like you. Cause if I hit a bad shot, I can just look at you and you can say the word I'm thinking of yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or something like that. So it's, I love that. It, it is true though, man. So I mean, you're, you you got to be real. Yeah. So. That's awesome. Yeah. Our 14 year old came up with a question. She said, ask him if people act strange around him when yeah. they find out he's a pastor. Yeah. So you just answered that. That's awesome. Well, the funniest one is that this goes back several decades. So I was shopping in a local mall and uh, this kid 
came up to me. He was going to our church and he was just shocked. I go, I thought he's just, you know, kind of shocked to meet me or something like that. Cause that, you know, I don't mean it's like, I think I'm some big celebrity. When you pastor a larger church, I like to tease. It's like being a little mini celebrity, you know, like in, in your little world, you're known. So I say, what? He said, he said, you shop at malls? <laughs> and I go, yeah, I shop at malls and I actually go to the bathroom and all, all that kind of stuff it's as like well. It's like seeing but your teacher in a bathing suit. Exactly. You know, yeah, you're yeah. like, wait, what? You're a human? <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah. that's exactly. <laughs> I don't know if I get that as much anymore, but I used to get that a whole lot. I yeah. think, yeah. I think pe- people still think that. I have a, a, maybe an odd question, but how have you ever used anger? Because sometimes anger mm-hmm. can be a, a tremendous amount of energy I, and force. That propels you. Yeah. I totally agree with that, by the way. In fact, what the Lord told me at one point is that, can I channel the anger into constructive actions as opposed to destructive? Mm-hmm. In fact, this is going to sound theological because it is, but I've always argued that the wrath of God is not what most people think it is. It's because we think of human wrath. Because when I get mad, I want to retaliate. I want to hurt. I want to whatever. God's wrath, even in the Bible, is always constructive and medicinal. Mm -hmm. And so if we can learn to take that energy and apply it. You get really mad at someone or people are treating you like this. Well, rather than allowing that to motivate you to kind of shut down, get mad, or simply just cuss or mm-hmm. whatever that does not going to accomplish anything, if you can channel that into energy is good. Same thing like when I when I do public speaking. Again, it's been decades now, so not as much, but I hated speaking in front of people when I was young. Mm. Hated it. There was nothing else in the world I hated more than public really? speaking. Really? You do I, it for a living? I, yeah, I, I know. I would blush. <laughs> I stutter. Mm. So I remember when the Lord called me to ministry, I tried to argue. I said, God, I'll do anything, mm. you know, but don't let me speak. You know, I'll, I'll sweep up rice after weddings. I'll be a counselor. And uh, <laughs> so I had to learn how to channel my nervousness and embarrassment into energy to speak. And believe it or not, I read a quote by Winston Churchill that super helped me. Winston Churchill to this day is considered one of the greatest orators of all time. Uh, Some would credit his speech making ability to helping England make it through the darkest days of World War II when they were being bombed daily by by the uh, Nazis. (laughs) And so late in his life, they asked Winston Churchill, they said, do you ever get nervous when you speak? And, you know, how truthful, I, I assume he's being truthful. He says, I always get nervous when I speak. So I've just learned to channel my nervousness into energy. Mm. And that's what I've always tried to do. Mm. I say, I try to channel my nervousness into energy. So if I get up to speak, um, I, I, I use that. And yeah. I kind of figured too, I think, I hate to say this, but some of my nervousness, uh, I felt is a little bit selfish in this sense, is that, well, Jim, why are you so nervous? Well, what if I blow it? Well, so what? And what if I blush? Well, then people see you blush. What if I stutter, sweat? shake. I uh, said, well, then ultimately it's what people think of me. Mm-hmm. And I had to get over me because when yeah. I would get up to speak, it wasn't about me anyway. Mm-hmm. It was about me trying to present what God wants me to say. And so if I have to make a fool of myself, then I'll make a fool of myself for That's Jesus. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I've always tried, Eddie, to do similar things with anger. Then rather than letting anger channel me to making stupid decisions, reaction, anger, I try to channel it into constructive ways. And by the way, I totally think that's possible. Yeah. Mm, that's amazing. Yeah. I'm still stuck on the fact that God himself told you to start a church and that was your biggest fear. Like you didn't, Public you speaking. weren't a good speaker. Mm. You weren't. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. However, the Bible also, the Paul at one point says, when I'm weak, then I'm strong. So yeah. in some ways it can be good because it lets you know, I have to depend on God. Because mm. sometimes when God uses us in our areas of strength, 
because uh, oh, I'm, I'm really good with people or I'm really good at speaking, then sometimes we kind of start to lean on our own abilities and we forget that God can help us. So mm-hmm. I found in my life, sometimes the areas I feel most insecure about, I feel like I'm not good at that. God can sometimes use me in tremendous ways because I know I have to lean on him because I'm sure not good at that. Wow. And I, that's what I, I believe. I believe that there's a capability in, in all of us that has to be revealed. And sometimes mm-hmm. God has to put you in the place where you can actually see that. And, and it may not be something that's apparent to you. That's why I think that in, in relationships, you can see something in someone else that they don't see in themselves. And, mm-hmm. and, and, and in the right situation, in the right circumstance, you get to reveal that to yourself. And then you go, oh, I actually can do this. Mm-hmm. And then that belief strengthens and, and gets even stronger. Love yep. that. Okay, so you talked a second ago about like the celebrity status. You know, yeah. you're on stage all the time. People yeah. might stop you. You yeah. go to Costco, Pastor yeah, Jim? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so I, you had said one time, I think it was uh, May last year, you said, the more you succeed, the more they'll hate. And like you we were yeah, talking about yeah. haters yep, like, coming yep. for you when you do mm-hmm. something great. If you show up to follow a calling, to start a business, there's some sort of pull or push in your life and you're audacious and you go for it, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Have you had haters? Yes. I, I'm hesitant to use the word haters, but right. I think by today's definition, that's probably true. Right. You, you probably would call them haters. Mm-hmm. I think sometimes people can get, just like I can get too. Uh, what, what's the old joke that you know you like to be around people that are successful, but not if they're too much more successful mm. than you, unless you want to learn on yeah. that. But um, I think the higher you climb and the more successful you get in a relationship or in business, that you're going to find certain people are going to subtly and sometimes not so subtly, I don't know if the right word is jealous. Mm-hmm. They kind of don't like that. The, what's the old saying? Misery loves company. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you can kind of be friends with people. Like if you're just a drug addict on the street, yeah, they all like you as long as you're a drug addict right. with them. But if you also decide to get your act together, you get cleaned up, start to make something of your life, then your drug buddies will start to trash you. They'll say, well, you know, whatever. Yeah. Or like even this church, when we begin to really grow and get big, you know, hopefully not a whole lot, but I know it was out there. Some guys that used to be my friends in ministry, mm. they'd be like, yeah, well, the reason faith has grown so much is because whatever, they compromise the gospel mm-hmm. and they're all into being showy. Or Dr. Jim Reeve is more into wow. hanging yeah. with this crowd. Yeah. Uh, even like, so I've had the privilege of getting to know Joel Osteen a little bit, you know, mm-hmm. and, and even that's been a little bit of a double-edged sword because some people are kind of like, oh, you think you're a big shot now because of Joel. Or some people are like, I don't, I don't like Joel anyway. Or it's like, hey, he's just a friend, you right. know? Yeah. <laughs> it's, right. just, it's just a friend I have. But but I think people that should know that in business and everything, as you succeed, you probably will have to have some of your relationships change. Mm-hmm. And some of that is good yeah. because people that are always going to be, you know, a little bit, whatever, haters, as, yeah. as you say, because mm-hmm. you're succeeding, don't let them bring you down. Right. I mean, and occasionally, and I know this, we shouldn't do it if you're a Christian, occasionally you almost have to sever the relationship mm. because they're just such a constant drag that while you never want to stop helping someone else and you're not letting go of them because they're quote unquote too low for you, you're going to have to let go because they're being an anchor mm. on where, where you're trying to get to. Yep. Okay, that leads me into... One of the things that we find that our community struggles with, I, th- I think most people at some point struggle with this, is comparison. Yeah, that's yeah. Has that been something that I, I would imagine yeah. there's churches all over mm-hmm. and you don't have to give names. Sure. But I yeah. just, I think it makes my heart feel pure to know that yeah. my pastor, who I admire, is like, yeah, there's so good. Right. Eddie was like, I want to know, like, which 
who gets under his skin that just says, oh, I got to be better? Is there anyone like that? Oh, oh absolutely. There's always in a, see, I'm, I'm competitive by nature. Right. That's one reason why I love sports. Mm-hmm. And I always like to know what's winning, what's losing. And there's the old stereotype in ministry. You, you go hang around other pastors, other ministers. And over the years, I've gotten to hang around, and it's been great. Some of the most, some are famous, mm-hmm. some are not as well known, but they're super successful. And the old, the old joke is that when you get around other pastors, what what all of us really want to ask each other is, um, you know, how many people are you running a church right now? Mm-hmm. In other words, what's your attendance? Mm-hmm. And the other one is how much money's coming in. Mm-hmm. It's not that we're all in, it's, oh yeah, you're just in the money. No, it's more, those are indications of success. Right, right. And we've had to learn over the years, no, there's more important things than that. And I have mm-hmm. fasted. So Paul, in one point, Paul in Galatians talks about, you know, taking care of your own life and don't compare yourself to others. Because whenever you compare, you're kind of dead in the water because mm-hmm. you can always find someone doing worse. You can always find someone doing better. But, I'll give you one example. And she asked for an example because he's he's been a friend over the years. It's Rick Warren. Our church began in 1980. Rick Warren was Saddleback. He's mm-hmm. written The Purpose Driven Life. Yeah. Uh, his church began in 1980. And our church, we did incredible. But no matter how incredible we did, we were never as big as Saddleback. Right. So like, I'll never forget, if we finally grew from zero, no people, and finally got to 500, Oh, wow. That, that's huge. Most churches yeah. in America never even get to 500. Mm-hmm. Well, rather than being happy about that, there's a tendency to go, oh, Saddleback, Rick, they're at 1,000. Mm-hmm. You know, and then we get to 1,000. Oh, they're at 3,000 or <laughs> or less. And someone in church just felt led from the Lord to at one of our new mission projects. They gave $50,000, which is awesome. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, yeah, Rick just had a $5 million gift given his church. So, <laughs> and by the way, Rick is the coolest guy ever mm-hmm. on this because yeah. I've actually said this to Rick. I've teased Rick yeah. about this. And Rick is like, oh, no, no, you know, Rick is the, yeah. Rick's the opposite of, of being like that. Mm-hmm. Right. So that's more in my mind. Right. Yeah. So in some ways, comparison can be good in the competitive sense yep. to make you want to do better. Right. Yeah. But comparison can also do, I think, more damage than good because you can are never satisfied. Right. One of the things I've had to learn in life that made me just think of it right now, having said this, that my wife's really good at and I'm really bad at is I always tend to push off my joy and enjoyment until we win, whatever mm. that win might be. If I'm a player, it's when the game is over. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, we won. But I, so what's a win in a marriage? What's a win in a relationship? So I would never really be happy. Um, up until in my 40s, I started this church when I was 27. Up until my 40s, guys, I mean, the church was killing it. I mean, we were on national, all kind of national news, everything else. Again, not compared to Saddleback mm-hmm. and a few others, but we were doing great. But I wasn't really happy. I think, well, Jim, why? It's because I'll be happy when the church gets to 500. I'll be happy when the church gets to 1,000. Right. I'll be happy when the church finally gets property because we at first we just had to rent a place. Right. I'll be happy when, or in my marriage, I'll be happy when we you know, have kids one day mm-hmm. and then they have kids. I'll be happy when the kids get out of diapers. And I'll be happy when the kids get into school. And I'll be happy when the kids get, I, I finally figured out in my 40s, I was to never forget this, I was in my 40s. And I thought, Jim, the rate you're going, you're going to be 60 or 70 or 80 years old one day going, I'll be happy when... When I'm mm. dead. In other words, I like to use the phrase, I would probate or postpone mm. my joy. Mm. So I had to learn big time to enjoy the journey. My, my wife naturally enjoys the journey and uh, she's like totally in the moment. I have to totally make an effort yeah. to enjoy the journey. But I'd people listening, I would encourage you, if you have a business, a little bit enjoy it because, yeah. ah, but I'll be happy when we finally, you know, we're able to expand or able to finally get this going on. And yet, well, 
If you keep like, I promise you, when you get there, you still won't be happy because there'll be an, another level you want to get to. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a struggle for me. Yeah, and, we, and we're exactly we're, the same. We're your wife opposite. and you, yeah. Because yeah. yeah. I feel joy just waking he up He wakes morning. up joyous every yeah. day. And yeah. I'm like, what do you have to do today? Like, what just literally are you doing today? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> do you uh, have any that, goals for your life? That, right? Yeah, but I, I think it's important. And, and you touched on something about the comparison, because mm-hmm. we talk about this to a lot of the, our audience, is moving that to admiration. Yes. You know, and when you move to admiration, then you can take joy in someone else's success. Ooh, I'm going to preach that too. <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting sermon notes here yeah, today. And I think that that is something I think that, you know, when people do that really well, then they can use it. Mm-hmm. And they can say, I can do that too. If they if that's available to that person, that can be available right. to me as well. There's that fine line though, because you, like you were saying, you watch Rick Warren, right? Mm-hmm. And you're like, I love the guy. He's yeah. great. He yeah. deserves all of his blessings, yes. right? So I recently said, like, when someone succeeds, the blessing doesn't come from your account. Like, you still have this abundant account. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So you're not overdrawn because she succeeded or mm-hmm. he succeeded. It's like they went to your mm-hmm. blessing right. ATM. It's- yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and that's hard, though, right? I, I, I was uh, really challenged. A book I, I read years ago, the author died years, but a very famous book called Seven Habits of Highly Effective mm-hmm. People. And one of the things he mentioned in that book, I'm sure there's another book, but that's where I saw it. It basically said, you have to have a river mentality and not a pie mentality. Mm-hmm. And a pie mentality is what you're talking about. It says there's only so many pieces of pie to go around. So if they're succeeding in their bit, that's one less piece for me. And if I'm not, don't hurry up. There won't be a piece left. You took your dang pie. Uh, this, this book said, no, you got to view life as a river mentality. Yeah, I love that. That there's more than enough for everybody. Mm-hmm. And again, for me, that takes effort yep. uh, to do that. I have to train my mind to do that. I have to renew my mind all the time. Whereas my wife, Marguerite, she's more natural like that, you know? Mm-hmm. So she's, and I have guys in my life that come in that have been big encouragements to me. And I've tried at this point in my life, there's one change I have made with age. I've tried to be more of an encouragement to others. And in order to do that, to really be an authentic encouragement, you also have to be authentically happy for them. Mm. And so the comparison of it has to change so that if um, there's an old joke that says, man, our church, we prayed for revival, prayed that God would pour out his spirit, God would send revival, and he answered the prayers to bring revival to our city, but he brought it to the church up the street. And I've often asked myself, <laughs> what would you do if that happened? That my church, we prayed for God to move and God answered our prayers, but he did it with that church, mm. another church, or we prayed for our and the, anyway, I'm getting a little off track what I was no, saying, though. But, but, but in order to encourage others, I noticed the guys that are really able to encourage me were authentically happy for my success. So I have to always ask, am I authentically happy for someone else's success? And I don't have to interpret that as my own failure. Because you're right. Because mm-hmm. if another church grows in numbers, they grow from zero to 5,000. That doesn't mean my church can't grow. So I don't have to say, oh man, I'm, or, or it doesn't mean, well, I'm a failure because my church has just stayed at 50. I talk to pastors all the time that are great, great pastors. There was a great basketball coach named John Wooden at, at UCLA, which a lot of your listeners will remember. In fact, to this day in college basketball, the best basketball player of, of the year wins the Wooden Award. That's based on John Wooden. And John Wooden, I got to meet him, and he was in his 90s. I got to go and have breakfast with him. Wow. And he was kind of a Renaissance man as well. He would quote scripture. He'd quote authors. He would teach at universities. So he wasn't just a great basketball coach. So I'll never forget this. I said, okay, Coach Wooden. I said, who's the greatest basketball coach that you know on the planet right now? And he looked at me, and I'll never forget this. He said, well, if I answered you, you wouldn't know who it is. 
He said, because some of the greatest basketball coaches are not well-known, no one knows their name. And then he quoted a poem to me, and I, I'm going to mess up. I don't know how the poem went, but here's how the idea of Paul, how the poem went. And this really hit me, that this, the poem's about a flower that starts off as a seed. It comes out of the ground, and then it blossoms, and it blooms, and it's beautiful. And then like happens in life, eventually it gets old, and it withers, and it dies. And the idea of the poem is, I said, and during that flower's entire existence, no one ever saw it. Mm-hmm. Not one person ever saw that flower. Mm-hmm. And the poem kind of ends by asking the question, was that flower any less beautiful because no one ever saw it? Mm. Obviously, the point being, if you're going to succeed in life, don't always be worried about how much attention you're getting. And yeah. that can even that can help with comparison okay. and with all that stuff. Because you know what? If, if I'm if I'm being the best flower I can be, mm. you know, this is easy to say. It's hard yeah. to do though. It really it is. It's yeah. hard. It's hard. Hey, because you know, we need to honor and appreciate each other. Right. But that really that made a difference to me. I thought, okay, Jim, stop being so concerned about being seen and just be the most beautiful flower that God's called you to be. And and whoever God wants you to wants to see what you're doing, you know, he'll bring them. I love that. Love that. So outside of, we know that you have family influences. You said you came from a really great family, Mm -hmm. you know, your grandfather, your father just poured into you. Outside of family influences, who pushes you, Dr. Jim Reeves? Um, Dr. Doctor. Yeah, Dr. Doctor. Doctor. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, there are people today, but my first thoughts, I'll just I'll just give you my first gut response that my heroes, and I've once asked, I preached on this one time, and my heroes growing up and kind of still was one of them was the Lone Ranger. Okay. A lot of people, they wouldn't remember the Lone Ranger, mm-hmm. but the Lone Ranger was a good guy. He wore a mask. He'd go in on his white horse named Silver and he would save the town, save the village. And at the end of the people, they'd go to thank him. And every TV show into the same, or every radio show back for even the generation front, they'd be in a radio show. He would just ride off in the sunset and no one ever knew who he was. And it was Ohio Silver Way. Who was that masked man? Most masked people are robbers. They're thieves. This was a good guy, mm-hmm. masked man. The whole idea being that he just did good for the sake of, of doing good. And my dad and mom really tried to put into me, just do good for the sake of doing good. Be like the Lone Ranger. Or like Jesus said it like this. He said, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Mm-hmm. In other words, don't just do it for the credit or the glory or the pats on the back. Another hero I had because of growing up was an old baseball player that, again, a lot of people won't remember because he's been gone for years, but Joe DiMaggio. Joe DiMaggio was the Yankee Clipper before Mickey Mantle, before Reggie Jackson, before Derek Jeter, before mm-hmm. whoever the Yankee stars are today. But Joe DiMaggio was known. I said, I said, I said Dad, why do you like Joe DiMaggio so much? He said, well, for example, and by the way, Joe DiMaggio is the guy that married Marilyn Monroe. Mm. Is probably the only person that ever really loved Marilyn Monroe. Mm. Uh, paid for her funeral, even wow. though they'd, they'd been divorced for years. But the Yankee Clipper, he would make things look easy. For example, there's a fly ball and a baseball game, and it's really far away. And a lot of outfielders, they'll run over there and they'll make a great catch. You know, it's about, they'll have to dive and the baseball looks like the top of an ice cream cone. They barely caught it. They'll say Joe DiMaggio might take the same play. He would react so quickly. He'd be ready so quickly and he'd run so hard. He'd get under the ball in time to wait. So he didn't have to dive. Mm-hmm. He'd just be waiting. He would catch the ball. He made it look routine. That, mm-hmm. That's they said. He would make the difficult look routine. And that became a hero to me. I thought, mm-hmm. Jim, can, can you go through a hard, we talked earlier about hard times in life. I've tried to the best of my ability while I want to be transparent and help others. And I am. 
I also don't want to feel like people go, how are you doing, Jim? Oh, man, we're doing good, but you don't, man, you don't know what we're going through, man. I mean, in other words, you make it look hard. I've tried in my life to make difficult times seem as easy and routine as possible. And the other hero that influenced me that I did get to meet once I just mentioned, John Wooden, who coached UCLA, they won, I think, 10 national championships out of 11 years that will never be redone. But he had tons of stuff he's been famous for. But the one thing I really like is that he liked that he talked about poise. He said, poise under pressure. Because back in those days, everyone hated UCLA except for UCLA fans because they would win all the time. Yeah. They just won all the time. So you know, eventually people are tired of that. They want UCLA to lose. So they would travel to another court and the refs would again. Sometimes the refs would get calling bad calls. And John Wooden said, he said, I don't care if we win or lose this game. In fact, they said he never talked about winning or losing. He just, just talked about doing his, doing your best. He said, but we're not going to lose our poise. Mm-hmm. He said, so under difficult circumstances, if you're getting bad calls from the ref, you don't yell at him, you don't scream, you don't pout, you don't get in fights. Uh, he says, you keep your poise. And I've really tried to do that as well. Those are a couple of things that come to my mind. Poise under pressure is a thing I've always tried to maintain. And by the way, poise can also help keep you from making stupid decisions. And when marriages get in trouble because of the stress they're under, and it's totally understandable, totally understandable, people just start making decisions that compound their problems and oftentimes Mm -hmm. destroy the relationship. But if you can maintain your poise, that can help. Wow. That's awesome. That's amazing. If you're hearing any outside sound, that's our services wrapping up. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Last question. (laughs) Sure. Um, I learned this from Jane Fonda. Yes. She said that she uh, cuts her life. uh, She she looks at life like you have three trimesters, zero through 30. Mm -hmm. You really think that you've got it going on, but you have no clue about life, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. And then she said 30 through 60 is where you're going to do most of the seed sowing, right? Mm-hmm. And then 60 through the rest of your life, she said, that's the time you get to do whatever you want. And it's, a, it's a great trimester. Yes. What, what's your take on that? And what's next for you? Yeah, you yeah, just I, had 40 years. Yeah, yeah. So much. And I'm 67. I'll be 68 this year. Mm-hmm. It's so funny. Cause I still feel young on the inside. As right. I look at my hands, I look at my face. I'm, and I, by the way, I think for my age, I look pretty look good. Great. I, I think Absolutely. I do, but it's like for your age. Margaret right. and I both teased. We used to be a pretty good looking couple. And now our compliments are, we used to, oh, you guys are such a good looking couple or you're this, you're that. Well, for the last 10 years or so, it's kind of like, you guys look good for your age. <laughs> like a disclaimer. <laughs> for your age. It's, it's, all, it's always so, on that. So wait, but, can but, I tell but, you but, this? But, yeah. Eddie and I Dude. recently, we have daughters. They're 14, 16, 18. Yeah. And we used to tell people like, oh, we have three kids. And they're like, no way. You guys have three kids. Yeah. Lately, in the last six months, we've been like secretly waiting to see people's reaction because we go, we have a daughter in college, and you you know, and then we have a a sophomore (laughs) and they just go, oh, and we're like, I'm cussing at them in my head. I have to tell you, like, I go, we're those people. So, so you look great for your age. So what's next? And and then you get to a certain point, like, well, I might as well take it while I can on, on all that. Yeah. You know, this season of my life, and I really like what you just said. I hadn't heard that about Jane Fonda, but I think that's not a bad way to look at your life. Mm -hmm. I think the season can can be a real season of giving back. Mm -hmm. Sometimes economically guys will take the same triad that you just mentioned and they'll compare it to like your first 30 years. You're kind of getting ready, getting prepared. Mm -hmm. Your middle 30 years, 30 to 60, that's your prime earning years. Mm -hmm. And then your last years, that gives you a chance to not simply sit back and wallow in your success, mm. but to be a blessing to someone else. Mm. And so I really love spending time with my family, with spiritual kids, trying to give back at this point. 
by the way, not to sound negative, but this season can also be very challenging because the so-called golden years, and if you talk to older people and they get gut level honest, they start to talk like this. Sometimes the golden years ended up being a mirage because your image of it, oh, I get to finally relax, Mm -hmm. enjoy the fruit of my labor. And there's a lot of truth to that, but there's a lot of stuff you don't think of. I'll, I'll compare it to this. When you're a married couple and you have having kids, it's awesome, but it also makes life harder mm-hmm. and more challenging. Then you have more than one kid. Mm-hmm. You have several kids. And all of a sudden now, you got all these kids. Well, as you get older, so now you don't just have your spouse to worry about. Now you got your spouse and, and your kids that honestly, if you choose to, you can worry about, mm-hmm. you know, and pray right. for them. Then you go, then also you start having grandkids. Uh, it's kind of like in, in the church years ago, guys say, oh man, I can't wait, Pastor Jim, to have a church like yours. I go, what do you mean by that? Well, my church is still only a hundred people and, you know, which is fine, but I don't have enough staff to take care of. Someday I'll have a big church. I'll be able to relax like you. And I wanted to tell them, you know, a bigger church is a bigger headache. Mm-hmm. It's not less of a headache. It's a bigger headache. Being the president of the United States or whatever, it's not a smaller job because you have all these brilliant people right. working for you. It's a harder job. And in some ways, the 60 to whenever you die mm-hmm. span is the best time. It really is. It's a time to sit back. You can A lot of things are great. But it also can be one of the most challenging times because now you've also got grandkids. If you live long enough, great grandkids. If you have a business, you know, you got... Let's say your business really succeed. And even if you've handed it off, there's all these concerns. What if it falls so, apart? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I still have to, as I, we joked earlier, whereas my wife, Marguerite, will more naturally enjoy, I still have to daily work at enjoying the mm. season of my life. Yeah. Because I will wake up and to think about all the things that aren't going right, the things I need to fix. And I have to choose to say, okay, this is the day the Lord has made. I'm going to rejoice and be glad in it. But I still like that. I like being in this season and of where I have the opportunity to really give back. Mm. And I think it's easier and more exciting to give back than ever in that last trimester, as Jane Fonda said, of your life. Mm -hmm. I love that. Well, thank you so much. You have definitely poured into us. I'm positive that our listeners took notes on this episode, and we're just super honored that you would share your time with us. Thank you for all that you do in the community. Um, just all of the great work that you were put on the earth to do. We really appreciate it. Uh, thank you. Thank you it was so great much. being here, man. Absolutely. Thank you for listening to the Push Podcast. Hey, we want to hear from you. So if you have a question or there's a particular topic that you want us to tackle and you want us to help you push through, you got to do something for us. You got to go to Apple Podcasts and you got to leave a rating and a review. And in that review, go ahead and leave that question with your Instagram handle so that we can shout you out when we actually answer the question. And we'll talk about that on the podcast and make sure that, hey, this particular podcast is made for you. So leave a rating, leave a review. You leave your handle and until next time, push through.